This is just Zach Ansbury Channel. Welcome. Today's podcast clip comes from an interview with Professor Scott Coslow from Macquarie University. Uh, advertising curriculum. Uh, would learn all there is to know about how people process ads. But to become that point in the course where they'd have to have at least a week where they talk about how do you design an ad? This is what managers need to know. Yeah. And we actually had practically nothing to say. People were sort of would make this week up. Okay. Honestly, it should be most of the course, but you know, we'd just have one flaky week where we talk about how we produce ads. All right. This this is this is an embarrassment on our field. So pretty much out of that embarrassment of having nothing to teach about how to design ads, that's where the creativity stuff came from. And sort of little did I realize that like if price promotions aren't getting where you want to go, you kind of have to talk about advertising. So why can't folks come up with the advertising that they need? Mm. Okay. So and in fact one of the big papers is was not published until about 2006. It took a long time to get this through the review process, went to multiple journals um, and, and the like. But uh, eventually published in the Journal of Advertising, very good journal, um, very pleased with it. Um, so why do some folks, you know, why don't clients get the advertising that they need? Well, they don't get the advertising they need, they get the advertising they deserve. And Largely, the answer comes back, and this is the, the surveys that we had done, and we have thousands of campaigns that we've studied over the years. Um, you know, if you're a good client, you get good work. If you're a crappy client, you get crappy work from the agency. Now, what's a good client? Yeah, that was what my question was going to be. Yeah. What defines good and bad client? Um, pretty much if you're open to what the agency's trying to say. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to do everything that the agency says. Yeah. But you have to be open because they're going to ask you questions. They're going to go down certain routes um, and you know, be open to what they have to offer. Mm. Okay, And those folks tend to get the best work. Typically what happens, and I've seen this plenty of times in, in client meetings, the client walks in and they say, they say in all sorts of wonderful MBA speak, sales are down, we need a boost. And they're smart enough to figure out, I'm not going to do a sales promotion. Okay, cool. But that's it. They say, that's our strategy. Sales are down. We need a boost. That's a strategy? No, that's a symptom. That's Mm. not a strategy. Okay. So immediately the agency comes back and says, well, who's your target market? Oh, and they'll perk up and say, "Um, 18 to 80-year-old male and female Australians. Mm. Is that a target market? 18 to 80, male and female. It's the entire market. Mm. Okay. And there's so many different educated ways, speaking MBA speak, that these brand managers will say everybody. And the agency just sort of sits there and puts their hand, fingers through their hair saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're that stupid. Okay. Well, I don't think that the brand managers are really that stupid. They just can't articulate particularly well, because nobody in their firms ever sort of ask them those kinds of questions. So when an ad agency asks them, well, who's your target market? They just say, oh, people who buy our stuff. So it, it's it's just they don't think like that. But you have to start thinking like that because the agency sort of says, well, what's your distinctive advantage? What are you going to do? What are you going to sell that's different? Uh, what can you offer that somebody else can't? The agency's looking for the angles. They, they know a bunch of successful angles that people can go for. Okay, but what's the one for your brand? 
Okay. Now you guys do some very good work on the distinctive competencies mm. of the brand. It might only be two or three different things. Yeah. Okay. But those are important, and you have to identify them in some way, shape, or form. You give that to an agency, then they kind of start saying, "Okay, these are the basics, and we can add this, and we can add that, and next thing you know, we've got a creative campaign for you." Yeah. And that—that's exactly how we kind of see. Um, not necessarily the creative part of it, that's sort of Nicole's research there, Um, but when you're starting to talk about the distinctive assets of a brand, it's very important to do that fundamental baseline research first to say, well, what are the things, whether they're logos, whether they're colours or characters or taglines that are we think are are unique and famous for our brand Mm -hmm. and then also for our competitors as well to see how they're performing. And then you kind of know what you can and can't incorporate into your creative mm-hmm. and that kind of allows um, the corporate sponsors of the institute to then go to the agency with some empirical evidence to say look you're the creatives mm-hmm. um, you know how to work and create all of this um, all the ads whether it's television whether it's online whether it's radio here are the things that you cannot miss like mm-hmm. you have to use this color you have to use this logo mm-hmm. um, and your job is to create an advertisement and a creative that gets eyeballs on screens or mm-hmm. eyeballs to listen. And, um, but these are the things that have to be kept. So that's sort of our approach, I suppose. Well, it's, other folks will have that approach, but they may not use the same language yeah. that yeah. you guys use. For example, um, years ago I spent a lot of time studying um, the folks at Saatchi's who produce the, the Folgers mm-hmm. campaign. Um, Folgers is the number one brand of coffee in the U.S., um, uh, a spectacularly successful brand. Um, an incredibly strong brand. Um, what are some of the distinctive assets that they have? Well, one of them is red. Mm. Okay. Um, another is mornings. Okay. So you can come up with a few more of these things. And those themes, when they sort of showed up in the ads, all of a sudden the copy testing just went through the roof. If you yeah. tried to vary from those things, people will say, what brand are you talking about? Because it's like they're waiting for the red. If they're talking about coffee and they've got yeah. the color red, they know it's Folgers. Now, you mm. might say Folgers only once or twice in the in the ad. But if you've got that those themes, they know it's a Folgers ad. Now, if a competitor tries to do a coffee commercial about mornings, people say, oh, that's a Folgers ad. Yeah, because they're not paying that much attention to the yeah, ad. Correct. Yeah. So the, these are important issues, and there are plenty of ways on which people can describe it. You have a particular, um, very scientific-based way of testing and finding and confirming that those kinds of specific assets are going to be important to the campaign and need to be incorporated in some well way as an important aspect of the branding. Mm. Great. It's, others have other ways into the same kinds of issues, but it just emphasizes, you know, this creative element, yeah, we need some some structure in there. It's not going to be a lot of structure, but enough structure. Um, and these are things that brand managers, they know it, but they can't articulate it. Yeah. And then they tell the agency, yeah, we're selling to 18 to 85 male and female Australians. And uh, the agency just shakes their head and says, <laughs> we don't know what to do with these people. <laughs> Uh, that's um, great. So that's sort of um, sort of those elements of the creative is, and some of the institute's research has looked at, um, I suppose, the role in which different types of advertising has had, whether it's using emotions that are 
you know, slightly emotional or highly emotional ads mm-hmm. and whether they're sort of joyous, happy or or sad type of ads. Have mm-hmm. you looked into any of that sort of research before and what's your views on that sort of stuff? Okay. Some of my early research was with my old advisor, Dave Stewart, and um, Dave taught me a lot about executional factors. And he had probably the, the what was the state-of-the-art data set at the time that he worked with, with uh, ARS, Advertising Research Systems, which at the time was the big copy testing service throughout the planet. Um, he would have these scores in terms of the copy tests and then content analyze the ads to determine what kinds of executional factors lead to what kinds of effects. Now, um, Nicole's thesis was a replication of, of this work. Mm. I've worked on, on this data as well. Um, and this is the executional factors tradition, which, which we have. And it, it's, it's a very strong tradition. It's a valuable tradition. Um, but the question mark is, does this lead to better work? Now, f- the best case scenario is that there was a, a very small percentage of, of the, the strength of the ad from the copy tests um, that these executional factors predicted. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't as strong. Okay? And, and talking with Nicole, um, she's continuing to find these kinds of small but significant effects mm-hmm. in, in the data. And certainly, you know, some of the, you know, we're talking less than 10%. Now, it's still nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. But is this where the big effects are? Okay, and the answer is no. Okay, you shouldn't necessarily design an ad around the executional factors. So, are there certain features of an ad that ad has to have? I, I'm not going to tell you that there is any feature that the ad has to have. Hmm. Now, it might be something unique to the brand, the specific brand assets that you're talking about that um, the Amber Bass Group focuses on. Hmm. Um, those are specific to brands; they're not to categories. Okay. So would they show up in these kinds of large executional factors kinds of studies? Actually, they wouldn't show up. They'd be specific to the brand, yeah. not to the to all ads. Yeah, so you're true. not necessarily going to find executional factors that usually are the end-all, be-all. They are much more higher-level variables. Um, Rachel Kennedy, one of your colleagues, and I just had lunch, and we were talking about that exact issue. A lot of the executional factors don't pan out to have as much effect as we think they should have. But what does are some of the higher levels variables that would, say, relate to strategy in some way, shape, or form about what kind of benefit is offered by a particular brand. And again, that's going to be different depending on what brand you're talking about. It's very interesting. Um, Maybe if we switch pace a little bit at the moment. So you have... um, quite an interesting and, and actually a long history of publishing. Um, but you've also got a long history of, of reviewing. So yep. you've been twice, you've been reviewer of the year for the Journal of the Academy of Market... Journal of Academy of Marketing Science. Marketing Science, yep. that's right. And, um, or JAMS is the acronym yeah, which yeah, I Jams. constantly use. Um, you know, top-tier journal, yeah, yeah. Um, worldwide thought of as one of the top four journals, um, at least the people I know anyway. So to be able to be recognized by such a distinguished journal and the best of the reviewers for that journal, for people who are reviewing journals themselves and people who are trying to publish in these types of journals, 
what would your advice kind of be? How can how can we be better reviewers? How can we be a, an award winning reviewer like yourself? Or how could we respond as an author to a, review, a reviewer of your quality? Okay, uh, folks, send. Hey guys, it's Zach Ainsbury here with just a couple of quick reminders. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, then make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. There are plenty more interviews to come with some of the world's leading marketing academics and practitioners. You do not want to miss these. In the meantime, if you're looking for another way to connect, then follow me on Twitter at Zach Ainsbury. That is Z-A-C-A-N-E-S-B-U-R-Y. For my take on the marketing issues of the day.